it's, um, it's, it's 20 past 10. Um, <laughs> cancel your lunch plans. No, don't do that. I just want to say, uh, we're out a little bit, oh, not that we have a strict time schedule. We allow time for God to do what he needs to do and wants to do. And, and so, but I do want to say, feel free to, if you need a cup of coffee or a break uh, anytime, just go for it. As Ryan said, uh, do, do help yourself to that. Um, I'm going to talk for about, uh, I'm going to say half hour, 20 minutes. Um, I just want if to, you, if you're tuning in today for the first time, we're in a series on, uh, on sin, on the biblical idea of, of sin. And, and the Christian celebration of Easter has got everything to do with uh, God's victory and removal of sin. And so we wanted to plumb a little bit, what is it? How does it affect us um, over the weeks leading up to it? Not with a view to stick and remain in the bad stuff, but we want to understand just how good, how great God is and how good his offer to us is. So, week one, we've spoken about what is sin. We've ultimately said, in a basic definition, it it is a failure to believe. To believe that God is who he said he is. To believe his word to us. That's, That's the basic fundamental. Last week, we said... uh, this, uh, we talked about okay, how deep, how bad is this? And this is the statement we looked at. We said every human being, except one, has a totally sinful, depraved nature. So uh, we cannot, even if we wanted to, live a life completely broken out of sin. We can't. And we're born that way. Okay? Very stark and confronting uh, statement and we then went on to the depth of what God does in you when he comes to live in you because he makes you a new person entirely with a new nature right Um, that's how deep it runs that's how good it is Christians are what Christians are are different to what they used to be very different okay so we plumbed that a bit last week I just want to hover on this there's a question that came out of last week that I think is very worth me just clarifying Uh, in some conversations afterwards someone read this heard this and asked the question, um, what, about, what about babies and children who die? Yep. It's a very good question. If that statement's true, and I want to speak very sensitively and pastorally here to people who have lost children, Christians who have lost children, you know, does that mean that that child who died, who was born in that sin, uh, is separated from God or not? That's a terrible burden to bear for a Christian parent? Short answer is, no. How we fare in terms of God's treatment of us and our sin depends on, not our sin, but our faith. <laughs> Belief. Right? And God, being good and being fair, will determine fairly a person's status of faith. A baby or a three-year-old or a miscarriage, uh, an individual there clearly has uh, unique limitations on their ability to believe or not believe. God knows that, of course. And so his, his treatment of, of, of that individual will be absolutely fair and according to what he can reasonably uh, expect in his own terms of their ability to believe or not. Does that make sense? This is not a case of just blanket, okay, because that's true, that's too bad for for, for babies. You can branch off into that 
the tribal person in the Amazon has never heard of God, <laughs> he or she too will be judged according to their faith, according to what they know of God or not know of God, right? So just, it's not as blanket as, because that's true, uh, too bad for a child who dies. It's not like that. It doesn't work like that, okay? So I just want to clarify that. Very important because I don't want to leave unintended hurt or weight or heaviness, particularly, as I said, for people, parents, Christian parents who've had to live through this. Uh, you can rest in the love and fairness and grace of God in terms of your loved one uh, who passed away, okay? On to today. We've looked at what sin is. We've looked at how bad it is, the depth of it in the human heart. Um, today, we're going to move on um, to kind of the results of sin. What does it affect in your life? What, what, what are the consequences? What, what is kind of... Uh, I want to say stuffed in our existence and not right because of it, right? And so, and so I, I needed to find a very broken individual to put up there as, a, as, a, as an example. Um, but, but the reality is that you and I and every human being exist really in a set of relationships, okay? Um, the blue arrows represent your relationships with other people. Those relationships are affected very much by, 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 by sin as a result. Your marriage, your relationship with your children, uh, your extended family, your friends, nations to other nations, all of it really affected, okay? Uh, green arrows, uh, relationship, our relationship to, to our environment, to the creation. It's a, it's a huge area of how we're affected and there you get in with economics and justice and all those sorts of things. And uh, Those are all sermons worth, worthy of their own right. Uh, maybe we get to them later in the year, maybe not. Blue and green will, will, will park for now. Easter weekend, we'll do the red one, the relationship that each individual has with God. It's severely affected due to sin. We'll look at that over Easter, Good Friday, Easter Sunday, right? Um, with the triumph of Easter Sunday and the glorious implications of that. For today, um, I'll just look at your relationship with yourself is also very much affected by sin. How? I just want to delve into that. What do you and I experience as individuals because of our sin? What are the results? What, what, what's not right? What doesn't work right because of our sin? And yes, we get to, man, how does God work with this and change this? And why is he so good? So that's what we'll do today. I'm going to ask for a little bit of participation from you today, Zoom folk. Um, uh, I'll relay anything that's said in here so you can hear as well. I'll give you four areas that sin, how sin affects you and me individual, as individuals. Okay? Number one, um, sin kind of leads to enslavement. Can you yell out, anybody? How do you think? What are some examples of ways in which sin enslaves us? Guilt, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, tell me a little bit more. Right? Like, how do we, how does that enslave us? Thought patterns, we kind of, kind of escape feelings of guilt. Guilt's a very interesting one, a very heavy one, yeah. That's okay, I don't want to just say no, I don't want to say more. <laughs> That's fine, two, yeah. Yep, bad relationships, yeah, yeah, sure. So, we're enslaved to not break with bad relationships, yeah. 
Yeah, sure. Thank you. Yeah. Unworthiness. Yeah. A sense of feeling unworthy. We can't break out of it. We feel trapped by it, literally. Yes. Sorry, Phil? Yeah, things of this world. Uh, we get attached to wealth and, and, and yeah, um, addiction. That's a great one. It, it, uh, it, it's probably the most, well, you see it most clearly in addictions. Um, for the person who's addicted to a destructive behavior or something, it's, it's awfully hard to, um, to break out of. I've battled an addiction myself for many years. And it, it's, uh, yep, sorry? Loneliness, yeah, and we can feel trapped, feeling forever alone, isolated. No matter how social we are, uh, you feel totally trapped, isolated, yeah. Self-centeredness, yes, um, that's a great one. We're going to get there. Um, in a sense, everything else follows from this because there's, there's two or three more. And, and, and yeah, self-centeredness is exactly that. You sort of, nobody can be fully selfless. <laughs> No matter how hard you try, okay. So, so thank you. I love your love your responses. It's a place in the Bible called Galatians that you know just talks about this: the acts of the flesh. These are the sins, the things we do: um, sexual immorality, impurity, debauchery, idolatry, witchcraft, hatred, discord, jealousy, fits of rage, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, orgies. You know, usually we would. Talk, money, sex, and power. They're the three big areas that humans find themselves very challenged to live uh, rightly. Usually, you'd say we fail in one of those areas. But it's not just that sort of stuff that we do that we shouldn't do. It's a whole of stuff we should do that we don't do. Um, you know, food of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And um, no matter how hard you try, often you never pull up quite as high on those things as you should. And that leads to this perpetuating, potentially, feelings of guilt, even if they become then irrational, or feeling of inferiority. Further isolation and it gets worse and worse and worse and worse. That's one of the ways in which we're affected. Um, we do become enslaved. Um, I'm going to keep pushing on. Number two, um, restlessness. Can anybody tell me what does that look like? What could it look like? Sorry? Indecision. Yeah, we're very, it's very hard for us often to make decisions um, because we don't carry peace over what to do. And it keeps churning. Yeah. Maybe one more. Yeah, sure. There's, there's never enough. There's always a restless, gnawing sense of um, I'm not enough, it's not enough. Let's just... That's it. <laughs> I'm enough in the world. You know, it's good. Um, the, the biblical word is... Shalom for rest. Shalom is a sense of completeness, fullness. You're full. Your life is full. It's complete. No more striving. No more. And that, you know, shows itself in the way we 
between Sabbath <laughs> and rest. Because we're no full and half. We should, but we don't. <laughs> it's quite the opposite, right? Um, definitely a symptom, if you like, of, 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 uh, of sin on our lives as individuals. Um, I just want to... Uh, for the sake of time, I, I'm not going to do it. Um, talk to me about it afterwards if you want. I, I, I did want to branch off in just talking with restlessness and with all these symptoms. There's a fair question about how does this interact with psychology, right? The person who suffers from a mood disorder, who's very restless. Um, how, does, how, does, <laughs> how does our spiritual belief and what God wants to do in us interact with what Chris would be doing with patients who say, I struggle with restlessness, you know, and there's a, there's a great question in that. I just want to say today that there's, um, there's room for both. Uh, I think the starting point, the source of ultimate healing and restoration and power comes from God, comes from our spiritual relationship. But how to manage, how to cope, how to wisely steward that uh, that aspect that we might struggle with, psychology makes a great contribution. Christian psychologists make a great contribution here um, in terms of how we put these two things together. Um, the other question is, uh, uh, um, as a summary, when we talk about the effects or the results of sin, some of it's direct, some of it's indirect. We've got to be very careful to not say that I'm restless or I suffer from anxiety or depression because I did this, God's punishment and the consequence is that I now suffer from this. Okay? Um, maybe, but maybe not. A lot of the effects and results of sin is indirect. It's not direct. Some are direct. You know, if you... Yeah, if you chose to run a red light deliberately and you're in an accident, well, that's, well, I mean, that's a natural consequence, really. And so that's easy, but it's not always like that. So that's a whole other question that I, that, I, that I wanted to go into. I, I'm not going to do that. I'm just going to say direct, indirect. A lot of these symptoms, restlessness or broken relationships, are indirect results of sin. Job is our guy in the Bible who tells us that. You know, he goes through a lot of suffering and hardship and his friend says, you've done something wrong. Otherwise, this bad stuff wouldn't have happened to you. And he goes, oh, I haven't. I don't know. You must have. <laughs> it's impossible otherwise. And in the end, the verdict is, yeah, he didn't. <laughs> Yet he still very much suffered from the, uh, the, the, the effects, if you like, of, of what it means to live with a sinful condition in a sinful world. So, so, so guard against A plus B equals C in this and be mindful of the intersection of worlds spiritual, psychological, and so forth, okay? I'm happy to talk more afterwards. Restlessness, number three, uh, denial and self-deceit. Uh, we love to tell us that, ourselves, that I'm not the problem, or this isn't wrong. We just rewrite the rules. <laughs> um, quote from Sex with Dr. Jess. I'm not a subscriber, personally. But this is a very interesting. The sexual revolution does not simply represent a growth in the routine transgression of traditional sexual codes or even a modest expansion of the boundaries of what is and is not acceptable behavior. Rather, it involves the 
abolition of such codes in their entirety. It's lofty language, but this is very, very typical of the culture in which we live at the moment with regards to sexuality. Right? The human being should be free to choose with total authority what they want to do sexually, or sexuality is not the same thing, but it all sort of came back into vogue again in the sexual revolution in the 60s. Um, nobody can tell you how you should live with regards to sex. I'm, I'm picking on sex here. It could be for anything else. And that's just kept going and going and going. Now we're at a much more advanced stage with regards to sexuality, and the mantra of the culture is, um, if we're going to really thrive and be happy as humans, we need to abolish anything that tells us how we should live with regards to our sexuality. Anybody who dares to criticize what you do with sex or your sexuality is a real problem to human happiness. It needs to go, including religion, including all that sort of stuff, right? And I think this is what we as humans do. It's one of the results of our living in our sinful condition. We might suspect it's wrong, so rather than getting ourselves into what's right, we change the definition of what's wrong. Just rewrite the rules to, to fit it, fit what we want to do. It's what culture's doing. Um, it's often what we do in our own lives as individuals too. And just bear in mind, not just in a secular sense, we do it religiously as well, by the way. <laughs> Pharisees, if you're not familiar with biblical language, you forgive me, but, but biblically, religious leaders who said, well, we have an agenda, we're going to write religious rules that suit us. It's not what God wanted. <laughs> it's the same problem of sin. So you need to be very careful as a, as a, as a spiritual person not to uh, say, well, I'll just make my religious rules suit what I want. Be very careful. Number four. Selfishness, self-centeredness, uh, and self-deceit. Okay, that's the last one, okay. Can anybody tell me, how do we do this? What does this look like? Self-centeredness and insensitivity. Just give me any example. You do you, and I do me, and everything is okay as long as we don't hurt each other. That's the cultural mantra. Everything goes as long as you don't hurt somebody. Yep. It doesn't matter how weird or wrong it is. I mean, it's a fallacy because invariably you're going to hurt somebody. <laughs> if everybody does that, there's going to be hurting. But that's, that's the lie we live with at the moment. Um, yeah, anything else? I mean myself, yeah, yeah. Um, I watched Elvis on Friday night, Baz Luhrmann's take on it. Great movie. I mean, you see the beginning of that popping up in our culture again, you know, the line that Elvis says at one of the scenes. There's a lot of people saying a lot of things. In the end, you've got to listen to yourself. <laughs> You're the authority in your life. It really is about you. And unless you listen to yourself and learn to Assert, now don't get me wrong, there are some people who do need to learn to assert themselves when you struggle with inferiority and so forth, but, but the catchphrase is expressive individualism. 
you will never be happy unless you have learned to express your individualism powerfully over all else. And, you know, from there, a whole heap of stuff comes. Um, narcissism, self-centered ambition. It all comes from this rubbish. Do you think that you somehow are the most important being in your life? Selfishness, self-centeredness. Simple as that. All right. That's the bad stuff. Now, we get to the good stuff. All I want to do for the rest of this message is simply look at these four things. And I want to remind you of what we said last week, that oh, I'm struggling with these vines. <laughs> <They're>, uh, <laughs> last week I had a tomato vine in here. It was pretty dilapidated. And now I thought I'll go for a picture. But that also is not <laughs> what, I, what I need to show. But we worked with the the image that for a person who believes that God is who he said he is, that he made me, that he loves me, the message of Easter is true that I am sinful, but yes, on the cross of Jesus Christ, the full judgment of my sin was taken by him instead of me. So I'm right with God. And then he comes to live in me. And he changes me. I, I'm joined with Christ. The spiritual power that is at work in Christ is at work in me. And the analogy is a vine, that I'm grafted into that vine. And that same sap that nourishes all the branches through that vine nourishes me, which means my life will change will change, inevitably cannot fail to change. All I want to do now is work through these four things with the scripture verse against each of them that tells us what does God want to do in you and me on each of these points and then we'll pray. The power in this is to hear the word of God as it's read. How I want us to do this, I want our volunteers to please read for us and reading the microphone. So I'm going to do one by one for our Zoom folks that they can, they can hear. Um, number one, if you're plugged into the vine, here's what God's going to do. You're going to move from being enslaved to sin to being controlled by Christ. No longer is it your sin that dictates the agenda in your life. It's Christ that dictates it, Right? So can I get someone to read that verse for us? Just a hand up, if you don't mind. Uh, can I? Dini will just beat you. <laughs> Thanks, Dini. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. Romans 8, verse 6. Thanks, Dini. That word governed is a strong word. Controlled. Christ controls you. Okay? Number two. We move from restlessness to shalom. Anybody happy to read that for us? Karen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. Number 6, 24 to 26. Thank you, Karen. Um, how great is that? You see the connection here between God's presence in your life and peace? 
God make his face shine on you. The Lord turn his face to you. If you know God, if you see God, if you're in the presence of God, and your life is a journey of stepping into that more and more, what will increase? Peace. Shalom. Rest. It's incredible. Incredible. Number three. From enjoying sin to extreme enjoyment of God. Who'd like to read this for us? Thanks, Chris. May have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Ephesians three eighteen to 19. Thanks, Chris. There are so many verses that speak of this. This is one of the best. It talks to, talks to Christians. It says, you know what needs to increase in your life? your grasp of how good and beautiful and great God is. The more you grasp that, the more you're going to love and enjoy him, and the more you enjoy and love him, the less you're going to love whatever else it is in your life that is sinful and working against him. See, the answer to beating sin is not don't, don't, don't. The answer is see, see, see. Grasp, grasp, grasp. Encounter, encounter, encounter. The deeper and the wider and the more powerful that enjoyment stretches is the, the extent to which you're simply going to go, oh, yeah, that's actually not that good. Something far better. Why would I have this if I can have that? It's as simple as that. And so that's where we sit. That's what God does in us when he moves in. He begins to give this taste for his beauty and his glory and it just strengthens and strengthens. Last one. From self-centered insensitivity to other-centered love. Anybody for the last one? Alf, thanks, mate. Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, Matthew 22, 28 to 40. Thanks, Alf. I mean, that strikes at it, doesn't it? Jesus, what's, ooh, ooh. What's the most important thing in life? People ask Jesus. Most important commandments, what must you do? Don't live for yourself. <laughs> love God, love others. Okay? Simple as that. Then that's the move you will go into when you're tapping into God, right? When God's living in you. Let me finish. I said this last week, I'll say it again. It's not some instant voodoo magic. You grow slowly. You grow over time. But grow you will. And grow in these directions that we just spoke about. You will. <laughs> God wants to change each of us. And he won't stop until the day we die and until it's new heavens, new earth, where everything about us 
is perfect. The results of sin in your life, you're not enslaved to it. You will break free. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much that we can celebrate what we just read. I do pray for each and every individual in this room that you would do a new, a next growth spurt in us. You know what it is. You know the new flower you want to produce or the new kernel or cluster of fruit. Will you produce it, we pray. Will you help us to deeply enjoy you and learn how to do it? Will you give us the strength to break out of whatever enslaving habit, thought or power we are battling, knowing that the punishment for it has already been done if we believe it. And what remains is to step into its power little by little. Help us. Break free, Father, any addictions in this room. Father, lead us away from denying truth in arrogance and pride. But let us know your truth, your rules, in a way that we come to love them. And Father, we thank you that you're such a God who wants us to live out of your strength. And I pray finally for the brother or the sister here who still hasn't met you, who still hasn't opened him or herself up to you. Would you move in today? Would you make today the day? Would they say yes? Yes, I believe it. Yes, I want it. I want to make a start, a new start in a relationship with this God who is this good and can change me fundamentally forever. Father, would you accomplish that? And would you plug into yourself and into your community all who desire to escape every result of sin in their lives? We pray for it. In the name of Jesus, amen. Thanks, folks. Well done. We're going to sing one final song and then Ryan's up.